You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. All right. Well, good morning, Redeemer Georgetown. There we go. I've got some people who are awake. Um, it is good to be with you. Uh, as Pastor Robert said, uh, I uh, have got to follow you from a distance or a short distance in Round Rock and know some of your faces from your time at Redeemer Round Rock, but it's so good to be here and see what God is doing in Redeemer Georgetown. And it is my privilege to serve here today. For those of you that don't know me a little bit about myself, uh, I'm married to my wife, Lauren, now for almost 20 years. We have three kids, Autumn, Emily, and Owen. And I've got to be involved, the privilege of being involved with church planting over the last 15 years through a couple of church plants and love seeing gospel-centered churches saturate uh, the northern suburbs of Austin. I grew up in Hutto, so not far from Georgetown. We were the hippos, and you guys were the big town of Georgetown back then. But um, I love seeing gospel-centered churches planted uh, all over this area. And so glad to be here with you. Our family loves Georgetown, by the way. We come up here and hang out whenever we can. We love this city. We love this church. We pray for you, and uh, we're glad, to, gl- glad that you're here. Well, we are currently be in the season of Advent, and today we're kicking off a series where we look at the promises of God that are fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus, what we celebrate during the Christmas season. And Advent is really a season of waiting and anticipation, all looking forward to the promise of God fulfilled in the birth of of Jesus, in the coming of Jesus. And it's also a season that although Christ has already come, we continue to anticipate and wait for his second arrival. And so Advent really catches us in that season between what has already happened, that Jesus has come, that he's died, that he's risen, that he's raised to be seated at the right hand of the Father, but that we await the culmination, the final fulfillment of his coming and what he's accomplished. And so we wait in this season of Advent. And today, this morning, we're going to begin this season by looking at the promise of love. Love is one of the enduring virtues of our faith. Perhaps it's the highest calling of the Christian faith. Paul says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And today we're going to consider the promise of God's love in contrast with the thin kind of love, what I'll refer to as thin love, that we often see in our culture, especially in this Christmas season. And my hope is that our hearts will be encouraged to wait upon the Lord and to refuse to settle for lesser loves. That's where I hope we go today. So let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I thank you for the gift of gathering with your church, that we can come together and be reminded of your word, be reminded of your promise that you have loved us. You have come in Christ and you have lived and died and been raised. And we, by faith, can receive forgiveness and new life because of that. And yet, Lord, we recognize today that we continue to wait We continue to wait upon the fulfillment of your love to us in Jesus, and we rest in your promise. So, Lord, this morning as we dig into that idea, would you help us 
to wrestle. Holy Spirit, would you convict us where maybe we've slipped into cynicism or unbelief, and would you point us back to the Christ who is presently reigning and pouring out his love to his church? It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, in our culture, there is a clear longing for love. And the Christmas season, this, this, is, this kind of just explodes on the scene, right? There's this generic expectation that somehow during the season of Christmas, we experience the magic and the luster of love, right? Um, perhaps you were one of the, the many people who traveled to, it seems like all the towns around here did their Christmas festivals yesterday. I don't know if that was a coordinated effort. But if you tried to go to one, they're getting more and more crowded. And perhaps on the way to, to there, your kids were bickering in the back of the car. And you can imagine a mom or a dad saying, you know, hey guys, quit, pipe down, quit, quit bickering and fighting. After all, it's the Christmas season. We're supposed to get along and love one another, right? Like there's, no matter who it is, there's this generic expectation that during this time of year, let's shape up a little bit and try to love one another. After all, we're going to have fun. So fun to wait in all those lines and and fight through the traffic, right? Um, There's no doubt this lingering idea in our culture that we should love one another, that we should come together. And perhaps this is a holiday that brings up this great virtue of love. After all, it's in our movie plots. It's in our lighting decor. It's on our gift bags and even alluring us to spend in the department stores. Kind of this this proposition that if you love, you will go buy that special gift or that K Jewelers diamond in the store. It's all over the place. And all of this in our culture, this expectation, forms in us a sort of idea of a sort of thin love. This kind of love that can be manufactured, that can be delivered immediately, that's kind of just, it's kind of this superficial expectation. And I think that in all of this, there is a really good longing. Like this is, it's not a bad thing to long for love. It's not a bad thing for mom to want to have that good experience at the Christmas event. There's this good longing for love. It's a God-given desire for love. But what happens is when we end up settling for thin love, uh, we end up settling for thin love when there is a feast coming. (laughs) It's as if, uh, if you recall back a few weeks ago for Thanksgiving, if it's if there's a huge meal coming at 2 o'clock and at 1230 you're eating a Snickers bar, right? Like mom or whoever's cooking or dad, whoever's cooking, they're not going to be very happy about that. For us as Christians, to embrace a posture of waiting uh, means that we don't settle for thin love. And, and I want to be sympathetic here because as much as we're surrounded with this and as much as this is in our face during this season culturally, It's hard not to settle, right? The hype and flash of Christmas in our culture, it offers up a lot of shiny promises. I mean, their marketers are really good and they have a lot of access to us now on our phones, on our billboard, everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, It's it's really good. It reminds me a little bit of Proverbs chapter five that says this. And now hang in there. This is going to seem weird at first, but I'll explain it. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is, a, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps follow to the path of Sheol. Now that's, now you're like, oh, that got serious quick. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Whenever we're not walking in communion with God, 
Whenever we're, we're living in sin, what happens is created things begin to take on this luster and this appeal and this shine. And, and we, start to, we start to give them this godlike status where we think, if only I had them. Here it's talking about the adulterous woman, but we could apply this to all sorts of products, experiences, all the things that our culture is flashing at us right now. Saying, if I only had this, man, then I would be... I'd be satisfied. I'd be happy. I would feel loved. And yet in the end, these things, when we attribute them this godlike status and and give them our worship, they lead us to death, just like the proverb says. You see, apart from communion with God, sin has a way of selling us on created things, hyping them up, putting a little makeup on them, dressing them up, puffing them up, lighting them up, Promising to be the solution to whatever problem we had. Um, I remember as a young child, I think I was around six, I started wanting a drum set. Anybody else ever wanted a drum set in here? Maybe one? Okay. Um, I wanted a drum set more than anything else. And probably for three Christmases, my parents made the wise decision of not getting me a drum set. I understand that decision now as a parent. But I wanted that drum set. I thought, man, if I just had a drum set, like life would be pretty dang good. Like that would be awesome. And I began to build up this drum set in my head and in my mind. And finally, I think I was nine, I got a drum set on Christmas morning. Santa Claus, we did the whole Santa Claus thing, brought me a drum set and it was just surreal. It was this awesome moment. What I didn't realize is you also have to know how to play the drums and that takes some time. Like you don't just automatically get on there and start doing things. And then also a couple months later, one of my cousins came over and was visiting and somehow picked up my drum set and dropped it and it broke. And within three months, that thing was in the trash. Like this is, you know, a sad story. Um, And 30 years later, that drum set that I had so wanted and thought, man, if it, it would just be everything, I don't even know where it would be today. It's probably dust in a landfill somewhere, right? And, and, and I, there's, by the way, kids, there's nothing wrong with wanting a drum set. Drums are good. Drums are okay. You should take the time to learn to play them. If you get one, don't let your cousins play them. Uh, there's, there's a lesson too. Cousins are always breaking toys and, and all that. But here's the thing. Our hearts can tend to give created things, which there's nothing wrong with creation, God-like status in our life. And when we worship it that way, it ends up leading us to emptiness and ultimately to death. And this can happen, especially in the Christmas season, gifts or experiences, wanting to have the perfect, oh, if everybody could just get around the table, I have such an expectation that then, oh, and all the bows and the turkey or whatever it is you eat, if everything's perfect, maybe, maybe we could have like the love that this family needs, right? Food, relationships, all of this stuff and all of the Christmas hype, we see ourselves longing for love, longing for substance, and yet so much of what is paraded to us and what we fall for is shiny but without substance. You see, thin love promises to satisfy quickly. It's kind of like cotton candy. I love cotton candy, by the way. Um, It's kind of like cotton candy, though. It's sweet in the moment. It's puffed up and big, but what happens? You put it in your mouth, and it shrinks down, and it's sugar, and five minutes later, there's really no value, right? Long term, it probably would have some consequences for your teeth and health, but uh, it's pretty empty, to say the least. And you add to all of this now the fact that 
in our hands are these little devices, these phones where Amazon can quickly bring all these things we long for to our door or all these things we think we want to give to others to our door or with the swipe of, uh, of something on a relationship app, we can have that relationship, that love that we long for or want. With all of that, we've increasingly find ourselves prone to seek quick fix solutions to our longing for love. But thin love is fast and fleeting. And church family, I want to say this, that this is the culture we live in. This is the culture we're immersed in. And I think it's important for you to know that you've been formed and shaped by these things, at least to some degree. And it's no wonder that we are increasingly having trouble trusting in a God who is patient, who can't be controlled by the push of a button, who cannot be seen in superficial in shallow ways. Uh, I, th I think all this flash and shine and immediacy and quick fix solutions forms in us an impatience, an inability to really contemplate and think deeply about something that is great and beyond us. But I think Advent gives us an opportunity to embrace the waiting to embrace the promise of God's love. It offers us a path to resistance, to resist these cultural ideas of thin love. In Advent, we get to refuse to settle for these lesser loves and wait upon God and his loving promises. I think in many ways, the Christian life, one of the main aims of the Christian life is learning to wait in the present for the future promises of God. One of my favorite uh, Bible books on love is 1 John. We read a couple passages that we're going to look at here. In the first passage, we see John contrasting thin love uh, with God's love. Look, at, look again at verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see the attributes of thin love in this text? Fleeting, fast, quick, it's fading, it's going away. We look then to 1 John 4, 9, and we see a contrast. We see something that is eternal, something that is slow, that is patient. Look at 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, here's the, the call of Advent. Don't settle for lesser loves. Don't satisfy your appetite for a feast with a Snickers bar or cotton candy. Hold out and wait for what God has for you. Because he has provided in Christ a feast for us. He has manifested and declared this love to us as the text tells us that he manifested his love to us. Sometimes we might think, how do I know God loves me? Well, he's manifested this love to us by sending his son Jesus into our world, being born, 
living, teaching, doing miracles, revealing the kingdom of God, ultimately being crucified, being raised again on the third day and ascending to the right hand of the Father in heaven. This is how God has declared his love for us. And if we think about this, this week, I, I just reeled that off in about 30 seconds, but that whole process was unfolding for thousands of years. Thousands of years. God was unfolding this process and sending his son into the world, not on our time, but at just the right time. Slowly unfolding his love for us through the process of redemptive history. To love us to life through his death. To show us what love is. To declare to us that he loves us. But, listen to this. But over thousands of years. Not, not at the swipe of a button. Or, or the immediacy of high-speed internet. Or, oh, I feel uncomfortable. Or I feel unloved. I need an immediate solution. It was over thousands of years, an ancient promise God gave. And he worked to reveal his love and unfold it over centuries and millenniums. I mean, we, we go back to the very beginning of the biblical story in Genesis chapter 3. What happens after Adam and Eve fall and they, and they worship the enemy? Uh, and what, what happens? God makes this promise. He says, I'm going to crush the, the serpent through the seed of the woman. That's a bad paraphrase, but, but you get the idea. And it's this little nugget at the very beginning of the story that God's making this declaration that he's going to make all things right again. That he loves his creation and he's going to restore it. And you begin to follow the biblical story. And what unfolds is this slow, unlikely, weaving, uh, difficult, messy story of God unveiling his love to the creation. To his people. A promise made thousands of years ago. And, and, and think about this. It was in some sense, fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, right? But, but even though Jesus accomplished our redemption and salvation, his love has not finished unfolding. He's not finished with the work. He hasn't applied all the redemption that he achieved. We're still waiting. Jesus does it and he declares it and he, and he gives us a promise for his return. But the implication is that we're still waiting Thousands of years. Um, I love that in the song we were singing earlier, I noticed it, it said, lo, near the end of time, right? It's like, well, okay, what scale are we operating on? It's 2,000 years, right? <laughs> it seems like uh, we, you know, uh, if Jesus came near the end of time in 2,000 years, I guess that's still near the end. 2,000 years. I think it's hard for us to, to even grasp, grasp that kind of time. And that kind of patience and waiting. Um, so I want to give you an example real quick. To kind of maybe on a smaller scale help us feel the length of how long redemptive history has taken. Uh, any sports fans in the room? I'm a sports fan. I apologize if you're not. But you can still get this. The 2016 Cubs won the World Series after 108 years of not winning a World Series. It's like the, it was the longest sports drought in history, okay? 108 years. I don't even know how many presidents that would be. That'd be like five generations. I mean, 
Uh, it, it is a long time, right? If you're a sports fan, that would feel like an eternity. The, the Rangers just won a championship after 62 years. Maybe some of you can relate to that, 62 years. And if you're curious, the longest current sports drought is the Arizona Cardinals. It's 75 years without a championship. I don't think they've ever won one, but they've been around for 75 years. Um, and so for, for an Arizona Cardinals fan, if there's any of you in the room, the Cubs fan could cheer you up. If, if your drought is just the same as theirs, if it's 108 years, cheer up. 2056 is going to be your year. You guys got this, right? Um, I'm a Texas Tech fan. We don't even count national championships because that's never going to happen. We've given up hope for that. But we're 28 years removed from a conference championship. Right. And I'm, and I'm and I'll tell you this, you you talk to any of these fans uh, who are waiting or in the midst of that. And there is cynicism and there is self-deprecation. And there's just like this giving up of hope of th that's never going to happen. Right. Um, and here's the thing. These little sports droughts talking centuries, half centuries, uh, they're they're blips compared to thousands of years. When you start stacking up a century to a millennium. It's just a blip. And praise God that in our waiting, we do have the clear testimony of Scripture to announce to us his intentions, to declare to us his love and the arrival of King Jesus, born, died, and raised. We have a clear promise given in the Scriptures. And we have a promise of his second coming. We've been given that promise, but... If we're honest, trusting and waiting in this deep, steady, slow, unflashy love of God, it's, it can get really hard. And it can bring up doubts. It can even feel cruel sometimes to say God loves us in the midst of waiting in our suffering and hardship. Because days can feel like years. And it's hard. And we are formed in a culture that anything that's good or satisfying, you can get at the snap of a finger. Church family, when life gets crazy, when suffering comes, when sin wreaks havoc, when relationships go sideways, when we feel abandoned and lonely, perhaps like the disciples when they felt this, they are tempted to ask the question, should we look for another? We're tempted to look to thin love. When we demand that God act upon the same principles that our thin cultural love does, when we expect that he's going to act at the snap of a finger, uh, we wind up disappointed. We wind up disoriented. We wind up like the cynical sports fan. And maybe some of you feel this way because you were told when you came to came to Christ. You were, you were, maybe someone preached God as if he was cotton candy to you, saying, hey, if you'll just pray this prayer immediately, all your problems will go away. Life will be peachy. Everything will be great. Maybe you were sold God in that way. That's why we have to be careful that we preach as the scriptures preach redemption, not as our culture does. We don't adopt the methods of our culture. Maybe that's you. Maybe you find yourself disappointed, struggling, hurting, Tempted to look elsewhere. And if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for God to satisfy you in the same way a Snickers bar will, then you will wind up angry and bitter. 
If you're demanding that He comes and loves you on your terms, you'll be disappointed. But waiting patiently, hoping in the steadfast and yet never hurried love of God is a theme that we're going to see time and time again in the scriptures. This is the reality for us who've been loved by Jesus, that we are loved, but man, we still live in the age of sin and death. And most probably all of us will die hoping in God's love. We have it declared to us, but the fullness of what it's bought for us, the full gift lies in the future, lies in Jesus' return. And the scriptures testify of this. I mean, just think of our scriptural story. I'm not going to go through the whole Bible, but just throwing a couple examples out there. Abraham and Sarah, God promised them a child. When did they have that child? Age 40, age 50, age 60? No. (laughs) Late, 80s and 90s, like many years later, many, many years, almost so much so that they laughed when God told them it was going to happen. And yet God fulfilled his promise. Joseph was, had a vision of, of leadership and, and uh, ruling over his brothers, and yet, what, what did he go through? Decades of being sold by his brothers into slavery, of being falsely accused by, uh, by misleading, a misleading woman, Potiphar's wife. Only decades later would God raise him up to fulfill the calling that he'd given to Joseph. Israel was promised freedom to be God's holy people, to be a light to the nations. And they spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And when God finally sends rescue and hears their cries, He calls it, raises up Moses to lead them into the promised land. And I won't go into the whole story, but when they get into the wilderness, guess what? 40 years of wandering, Moses, in the wilderness. And guess what, Moses? You're going to die before you see the promised land. And there were prophets throughout the whole time sprinkled in who were calling Israel to repentance and saying, hey, we've gone wayward and God's going to send a Messiah, a rescuer. And guess what? It was hundreds, even thousands of years after these prophets declared that, that Jesus was even born. And Jesus coming and accomplishing and fulfilling God's plan gave us a promise that he would come again. And in the meantime, guess what? We have to embrace the waiting. We have to embrace the love of God that unfolds throughout redemptive history, not the quick fix solutions that are offered in our culture. And and I get this church family, the, the promise of love, like the fullness of it, can feel like a pipe dream, kind of like the Cubs, you know, if you're a Cubs fan in 2010, it, it, like, ah, we're not winning a championship, right? Um, it could feel like a pipe dream. I'd imagine them when finally the Cubs did win that championship. I mean, I think I remember seeing videos of like three generations of father, son, and grandson. They're just weeping together. Like, you never expected that to happen. And it happened. It was this overwhelming joy and happiness. And now, obviously, they, they sold off the team a few years later, and that's probably faded. <laughs> but you get a glimpse You see, church family, one day our good and loving Father will fulfill His promise. There will be this day when He returns to come and collect His church and judge the living and the dead where the love that we've been promised, that we struggle to hold to and believe is fully unleashed in our hearts. 
And, and you better believe that the joy of a sports fan and their champion, team winning a championship will pale in comparison when God's love floods over us and floods over the new creation and we just can't even contain it. And guess what? We will not have that just for a couple months, but we will enjoy that feast for all eternity. Don't settle for lesser loves. There's a feast coming. And we learn from the scriptural story that God's operating at a totally different time. His operation is just the right time. Doesn't feel always right to us. But we trust that. that that's, that's what the season of Advent is really about. I, a theologian recently, I heard one theologian call Advent Little Lent, which is, I love Lent. That's probably my, you're like, oh, that's kind of, you know, dark. But um, I love Lent. He calls Advent a Little Lent. Because it's not just about like joy and presence. It will be. Like that's why we kind of try to wait till Christmas Day. Even though some of you are like putting up decorations in October. What's going on? We'll talk about that later. It's okay. I'm just, I'm just a curmudgeon. But it's a season of waiting. And, and an opportunity for us to resist the immediacy and the cheapness and the thinness of the love that's paraded to us in our culture. And thank goodness... That while we wait, our gracious Father has, has not just said, okay, wait. He's poured out grace upon grace for us, for aids for us in the, well, in, in the waiting. And I want to close just by reminding and encouraging you towards these graces that he's given as we wait. He's given us the grace of the scriptures in which we can hear and read God's promises. You need to be in God's word this church every week, I would encourage you be here not out of legalism, but you need help in the waiting. You need to hear again that God has died, that he loves you, that he forgives you, that he cares about you. You need to hear it week after week declared from the scriptures. He's given us the grace of prayer that we can come boldly to the throne of the Father through the merit of the Son. And we can rest assured that our prayers are heard, that we're loved and welcomed into his presence because of the blood of Jesus and, and from time to time, the Holy Spirit will pour out these little previews into our heart of, hey, here's what's coming. I'm going to give you a little, you know, sneak in that little present before Christmas Day. Hey, here's what I got for you. And that's not all the time. That's maybe not our normative, but, but the Spirit does that kind of thing. And we have prayer. We have the grace of the sacraments of, of communion and baptism where we can see and touch and taste the love of God for us and be reminded tangibly with material things that God has not left us, but He's near to us. In fact, in a moment, we'll celebrate communion, reminding that He's not just far off, but even in our waiting, He's meeting with us. He's dining with us. We have the grace of faithful gospel ministers who embody and remind us of God's love. We have the grace of the fellowship of the saints, not only gathered, but living life scattered in gospel community to serve as a tangible reminder of God's love to one another. You never know what your prayer, what meal you bring, what kind word you say, what blessing you give is going to be a means which God uses to help somebody else wait, to keep waiting. Don't turn to another. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, Connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com.